morning. It's uh, good to be back. Uh, let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power. We thank you for the life of Jonah and for how you worked in his life and how you've left this account for us to be able to learn and grow from it. So we commit our time to you as we study this book and ask that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Speak through me that it would be your words and not mine in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week when we left off Jonah, we had uh, seen from Jonah chapter 1 that uh, there was a big problem. There were many problems God was addressing. Number one, uh, maybe the biggest, most powerful, influential city of that time, Nineveh, was steeped in deep sin, sexual perversion, other sin, um, unbelief, um, persecution of God's people, all kinds of corruption. They needed to hear the gospel. Meanwhile, there was a ship full of uh, unbelievers heading for Tarsus that also needed to hear the gospel. And there was one of God's people, a prophet, who unfortunately had racist tendencies and racial bias that God needed to address in his life. And we saw the beginnings of how God started, in his big picture of his work on earth, started addressing these issues. And where we left off, Jonah, um, in his rebellion and his uh, unwillingness to preach to the people group in Nineveh, decided to go the other way, thousands of miles, and uh, ended up in the bottom of a large body of water, and worse still, in the bottom of a large fish. Um, that probably wasn't Jaws, but uh, maybe a whale, but uh, uh, anyway, he was uh, in, in the fish, and uh, he gives us a little description of what it was like uh, in chapter 2. We'll try to avoid that, that part. Uh, so we are uh, left in chapter 2, and uh, you know, when looking at chapter 2, do you ever have one of those moments when you knew you were just busted, you got caught doing something you shouldn't, and there was just no way out, and no amount of exaggerations or half-truths or stories was going to get you out of it. Uh, that's where Jonah found himself in the beginning of, of, of chapter 2. This, uh, and getting ready for this, this reminded me of uh, something my daughter did when she was about six or seven years old. Um, my wife was taking a nap because she had a seven-year-old and a four-year-old to chase around. And uh, some of you are going through that now. And, uh, and you know that naps are bliss. And she hears a glass breaking in the kitchen, which could only be one thing. It could only be our daughter climbing up on the counter where she wasn't supposed to be, reaching in and getting a glass, which she wasn't supposed to do, and trying to help herself to a drink, which she wasn't supposed to do uh, from the refrigerator. But we heard the, the glass break. And my wife goes downstairs to say, uh, um, what's the matter? I says, Karen, uh, uh, who broke the glass? And Karen just immediately said, oh, OJ did it. OJ was our cat. <laughs> Not named after Simpson. He was orange. OK, yeah. <laughs> orange juice. But, but anyway, and, uh, and, and Sue looks right at her and said, couldn't have been. OJ was taking a nap with me. And then 
she knew she was completely busted. The excuse was just out the door there, uh, you know, and, uh, and that's kind of where Jonah is today. He um, ended up in the water at the bottom of the earth, um, he said, at, uh, at uh, the bottom of the sea, getting swallowed by a big fish. He knew why he was there. Uh, he knew that there was nobody else to blame it on. He was totally busted. And what does Jonah do in that condition? He acknowledges his sin and, uh, and turns to the one who he rebelled against uh, in prayer. Sometimes it takes us to hit the rock bottom to turn to God in prayer. But we have this prayer in chapter 2, not because Jonah was busted and he had no other choice to pray. It was going to be a long way out of the bottom of that fish. And Jonah kind of gives us some descriptions. He not only was sitting at the bottom of the uh, inside a fish, but he had seaweed wrapped around his head. That's disgusting. It was like a giant California roll that this fish got to eat. Uh, and then anyway, uh, but Jonah, we have this prayer not because it shows us, uh, well, when life hits rock bottom, you've got no choice but to pray, although that's a message of this passage too. Um, this prayer is here because it shows us that prayer is the beginning of revival and God's working. Because I put this prayer in context of what we saw in chapter 1, a racist prophet who will only preach to certain people groups. And that's not a good thing when you have a, one of God's leaders, one of God's spokesmen, only willing to go to a certain group of people or, or a certain race. That's not a good thing at all. It's also not a good thing when you have the most powerful city in the world being also the most corrupt and being perverse sexually and being perverse um, morally. Uh, and continuing to persecute God's people. And so you had a lot of bad things going on, and God intervening, and God coming down to work. God is showing us that prayer is at the beginning and at the heart of, of that revival. So when Jonah realizes the error of his way, the first thing he does is pray. But when God is calling us to revival in our church, to reach Columbia for him, to bring healing and reconciliation among Christians, to bring healing to the races, to bring healing to our nation, the first step of that is also prayer. So we're going to be talking about prayer today. Um, what, what to pray, why should we pray, and how do we pray? And Daggone it, it's another three-point sermon. I, I got to get out of that thing. People are going to think I'm Presbyterian or something. Uh, but, uh, but it's three points nonetheless. So we see that prayer is the cornerstone of any revival and any beginning of God's work. And we see the revival that God brings in the last two chapters of Jonah, starting with prayer. Paul Miller, in his book, uh, A Praying Church, uh, describes prayer as the nuclear engine, the boiler room of the church. He says uh, that things don't happen in a church when you do strategic plans, or I'll apply it to your church, set up pulpit committees. Uh, 
or um, strategize for small groups, all important things, but the work of the church begins, ends, and is really carried out on our knees in prayer. Uh, when prayer doesn't happen in a church, none of, these, none of these other things happen. And when prayer doesn't work, uh, when prayer doesn't go on in a church, uh, the spirit doesn't work, revival doesn't come, and, and we don't see God advancing his kingdom. So I am glad to hear you all have a pulpit committee, and uh, that's a great answer to prayer, but I would encourage you that uh, the nuclear engine behind that uh, group has to be constant, vigilant prayer. Um, prayer is what energizes our church. Prayer is what moves the Holy Spirit. Prayer is what brings the church together. Prayer is what heals. Prayer is what advances uh, the kingdom of God. And so we look at uh, Jonah and prayer here in, uh, in chapter 2. First, what, is, what does Jonah pray? Well, he prays a variety of things, and one of the first things that J Jonah prays is confession. Jonah confesses his rebellion to God. He says, I'm in the depths of Sheol. He describes his plight, not a good one. It must really stink down there. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a distance runner, and uh, um, I, I, I'm experienced with stink, not because of, you know, having to run in these sweaty temperatures, but uh, one of my running places uh, on Tuesday morning, we go past an office park, and trash pickup must be Tuesday morning. But it is the worst of the worst, uh, you know, it's... it's uh, I, I wish I had three hands because, you know, I need three hands. One hand to hold my water bottle, one hand to hold my running guide, and one hand to hold my nose. Fortunately, I only have two, and the nose is the one that suffers, and that stink area is really bad. But uh, I bring that up because Jonah was not in a, a place of smelling good or feeling good about his body here. Uh, but Jonah recognized that he brought this on himself, and part of his prayer was confession. A lot of times we think about prayer as just a laundry list to God, but it's really a conversation with God. And it starts with confession. People would say, why do we, why do we have confession in our prayer? Um, you know, we're, we're already saved. God, God has forgiven us. God paid the debt of our sins on the cross, and yes, he did. But God still calls us to confess to one another. One another. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another. 1 John 1, 9 talks about confessing your sin and, uh, and, and God answering prayer. If you confess your sins to one another, he's right and just and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God calls us to confession, and that's why in, the, uh, in most PCA churches you have a, a prayer of confession in the service because, yes, God has forgiven us, but until we're with him, we're still imperfect, we still sin, and God still calls us to confession. And most of the great prayers of David and, and others uh, are, in the Psalms, have an element of confession in them. And there are some great prayers in the Old Testament. David and uh, Psalm 51 is a prayer of, of confession. Uh, 2 Samuel 22 is a, uh, is a or 2 Samuel 23 is a, is a prayer. Nehemiah has a long prayer in, in chapter 2. Many of God's uh, 
people in, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, their prayers are recorded for us to read and, and study, and confession is a part of that. So, confession needs to be a part of our prayer. Is confession a part of your prayer each day when you, uh, when you pray to the Lord? Do we have confession? Do we confess our sins to the Lord? The second thing that um, Jonah uh, prayed for is a thanksgiving. And, you know, it's really easy to be thankful when, uh, you know, one of the government stimulus checks shows up in the mail right at the right time. Or, uh, you know, you go through a week and the Orioles haven't lost every game. Uh, it's been great the last two weeks. Uh, but, or, or when your child uh, particularly does something to please you, or your spouse does something to please you, or God answers a great prayer in your church, it's easy to be thankful. But Jonah was thanking God when it wasn't easy to be thankful. He was in the belly of a big fish. Not a very thankful place to be. You know how sticky fish bones are. Uh, he was probably getting... Uh, it was probably a very uncomfortable place to be, but yet he was thanking God. Thanking God in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5 calls us to be thankful. Paul calls us in many places to be thankful in all circumstances. And here's a guy wrapped up in seaweed and, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, on a three-day vacation in a big fish, thanking God. You know, you don't often think of uh, Thanksgiving as uh, something that Jonah would want to be doing, but he was doing it. He was thanking God. The third thing that uh, Jonah was praying for um, was uh, he was worshiping in his prayer. There are many elements of God's praise. He acknowledges God's greatness. He acknowledges God's control and sovereignty over the situation. He acknowledges God's mercy. He acknowledges that God is the author of salvation. He acknowledges um, God's um, control over things, and he acknowledges God's mercy. Jonah was worshiping in prayer. Prayer is not only, uh, as I mentioned, a, a list of, of petitioning things, but it is worship. And Jonah was ascribing to God his qualities and, and praising and, and worshiping him. So God was uh, hearing a prayer of Jonah that included repentance, thanksgiving, and worship. Jonah confessed and said, I did wrong. I'm going to make it up. I'm going to keep my promise of sacrifice. I'm going to do what I vowed to do. What did Jonah vow to do? Well, he vowed as a prophet to go preach the word of God wherever God called him to. And so Jonah promised uh, to God. He acknowledged God's greatness. He worshiped and, and he promised to go and do the work God called him to. So we see in Jonah's prayer, we see worship, we see thanksgiving, and we see confession. He also no doubt prayed for deliverance. Nobody wants to stay in that condition for a while. It's okay to pray for, for uh, petitions. It's, it's okay to ask God for things. In fact, God calls us to ask for him, uh, to ask him for things. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 say, it says, have no anxiety about 
anything, but in all things with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to the Lord. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, in uh, Luke 11 and also in Matthew 6, God teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So a lot of times when you hear a prayer, people um, get so wrapped up in the fact that there's other, other elements of prayer that they forget about petition, uh, petitioning God. But God wants us to petition him for our needs too. He wants us to uh, ask him all of our needs, big and small. There is no need too small to ask God for it. And there's no need too big that God can't and won't provide. So all these elements need to be part of our prayer life. All these elements were shown by Jonah in chapter 2, and all these need to be um, what we pray for. Now, I want to divert from Jonah a little bit in, in finishing this message. We'll get back to his story next week. Uh, just to continue the thought of prayer, why pray and, and how do we pray? Why do we pray? If people have said, um, why do we pray to God? He knows our every need uh, before we ask. Why do we pray? Well, because simply God commands us to. And that should be a good enough reason for, for any of us. God commands us to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And the verse that we quoted in um, Philippians chapter 4, God says to have no anxiety, but let your requests be made known to the Lord. In the Lord's Prayer, God teaches us to pray and, and commands us to pray. And the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites do, but this is how you should pray. Uh, he doesn't say this is how you should, uh, this is how you might want to pray if you ever think about it. Uh, he says this is how you should pray. We see almost every godly person in the Old Testament who we can do a character study on had an active praying life. God commands us to pray because that is the way he's chosen to work in our lives. So we, why should we pray? Because God commands it. Uh, another reason we should pray is because God works through prayer. The book of Acts is a great book to study but one of the themes of the book of Acts is as the church prays, so goes the revival. When the church prays, God acts, God moves, God works. When the church doesn't pray, you don't see it as much. Uh, you see the power of prayer in the book of Daniel and what God does in Daniel's life and in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life when they pray. God moves, God works, God brings revival uh, when we pray. A third reason uh, of, of why we should pray is, is more uh, rational, but uh, it makes absolutely no sense not to pray to the one who is your king uh, and, and, and your Lord. Um, we, uh, we, we went through a lot of political unrest in the last couple of years, and no matter which side of the political aisle you um, on, there was plenty of discussion about, you know, no communication within the government. And even in COVID, you wondered if is the government really communicating with each other or the states communicating with, 
you know, the federal government, there's no consistency, and, and you saw all that. And, and we're very quick to criticize the lack of communication in the government, aren't we, as, as Christians? We get very, but we do the same thing because we don't communicate with God. Because that's what prayer is. Prayer is communicating with God. And people, angels, can look at us and say, I can't believe these Christians that they're not even communicating with their king. How can they, affect, how can they possibly uh, have an effective strategy to reach the world and to spread the gospel and to make disciples of all nations when they don't even talk to their commander-in-chief. So when we don't pray, we're not getting instructions from the leader. Um, even non-Christian managers at work teach the value of communication and that no organization will be effective if there's not communication from bottom to top and from top to bottom. But yet, when we don't pray, that's exactly what we're doing. We're cutting off communication between our King and Lord and ourselves. And no organization lasts when communication is cut off. It's crippled and ineffective. And yet, that's what we do when we, uh, uh, that's, uh, when we don't pray. And, and that's why praying is so important. It is communication with headquarters. It is communication with our King and Lord. We are Christ's soldiers, and we need that communication uh, between us and, and the commander-in-chief, the king. As they talk about why we should pray, I'd like to talk about why we don't pray. And the scriptures are very clear, or why God doesn't answer prayer. James 1 says, we pray and we doubt, and God does not grant prayers answers to people who pray and doubt. Uh, because when we pray and we doubt God's ability or willingness to answer our prayer, then we doubt the very heart and core of the gospel. Uh, because when we doubt God, we're either saying he is not powerful enough to answer our prayer, which is a corruption of the gospel because the scriptures teach God is all-powerful and Lord over all, or we think God is not willing, and that distorts the gospel because of the loving nature of our God, who loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Other reasons we don't pray is because we're just too lazy. Um, that's a a harsh statement, but it, it's been true in my life at times, and uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, it, it's, it's true in others, too. We just don't think about it. We'd rather play on our phones or watch TV or uh, do sports or, 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 or pick your hobby, but uh, we just get too lazy. It's not a priority. And, um, and some people will even dare to say, I, I don't have time to pray. It's interesting that I've heard people tell me they don't have time to pray and I've never seen a one of them naked outside. So that meant they had time to dress. And if you have time to dress, you have time to pray. I never saw one of them saying, I haven't eaten a meal in two days. I'm starved. I don't have time to eat. 
they all seem to have, uh, uh, have, have uh, found time to eat uh, um, their, uh, their, their meals. Or I haven't had time to check my text and check my cell phone or check my email. Everybody seemed to be up on that. I very rarely have ever heard someone say, I've been so busy, I haven't had time to check my text. And yet, we say we're too busy to pray. It's a matter of priority. What is the most important thing? So, we also, um, I have to throw in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 here, when we talk about why we don't pray. Um, and James says, you don't have because you don't ask. Again, that could be the laziness or, or whatever, but when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. That's kind of a, a corollary of, uh, of why we don't pray. We pray, but with wrong motives. Um, you can pray to win the lottery every night so that you could buy yourself a bigger house, eat, drink, and be merry, but when we pray with wrong motives, God is not going to hear our prayer. Our motive should be to advance his kingdom and to glorify his name in our prayer. And when we pray with wrong motives, to get even with somebody, to get a leg up on somebody, uh, to be, quote-unquote, more comfortable, um, God is not glorified in, uh, in prayers with wrong motives. And James warns us in chapter 4, verses 2 and, and 3, about praying with the wrong motives. So those are just some of the reasons why we don't pray. But they're all feeble excuses before the Lord because we all have time to do the things that are most important in our lives. And the, the uh, challenge is, where is prayer fit in your life? Where does it fit in your list of what is important and, and what is not? The last thing I want to talk about is, how do we pray? Some people really struggle and say, I know I should pray, I know it should be a priority, uh, I've got, you know, young kids, it's really difficult to get away and find time to pray. Uh, how, uh, or I got, you know, I'm working 50 or 60 hours uh, a, a week. Uh, and there's no one way to teach how to pray, but there are helpful hints. And, um, and, 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 and here are some of them. Uh, People fall into trouble when they're trying to start a prayer life and say, I'm going to start praying an hour a day. It's kind of like the people that say, I'm going to read through the Bible. I've never read through the Bible. I'm going to read through the Bible. And they get all excited and get through Genesis. And they get all excited and get through Exodus. They get to Leviticus and say, ooh, and get bogged down and stop. And... Uh, and I don't know why you don't want to read through Leviticus. It's got some really cool laws in it that God died to save us from. Uh, but no, seriously, it's a, it's, a, it's a hard book to read. And, and uh, countless people I've experienced got stuck. You know, I'm going to read through the Bible to get to Le Leviticus and just kind of hit the, hit the hard stop and get discouraged and then start again. Uh, there are some great Bible reading, you know, read through the Bible in a year programs that help you get through that and break it up for you and everything. But... That happens in prayer, too. People get convicted about prayer, and they say, I'm going to pray an hour a day, and they pray for a half hour and don't know what else to pray. They get bogged down. They just stop doing it. Um, 
My encouragement, if you're trying to get a prayer life started, 10 minutes. That sounds like, wow, that's not very long. God wants us to pray. He cares more about the quality of our prayer, our heart, than he does about how long in minutes we spend in prayer with him. Because in actuality, the scriptures say pray without ceasing, and we should be kind of living in a constant life of dialoguing with him. But setting aside 10 minutes a day to get started. Uh, how do we do that? Sometimes it, uh, in families with small children, it takes spousal help. A promise from your spouse to say, I will watch the kids for 10 minutes in the morning before I go to work so that you can have time to pray. Or, or at night, or, or, or coming home in the afternoon, the first thing that uh, you know, the spouse that uh, is, is coming home uh, would do is uh, take the kids for 10 minutes so the other one can go have time in prayer. But consciously setting up a time where you can um, uh, meet with the Lord and, and helping each other and holding each other accountable uh, to, to be able to have that time free. Um, a second helpful time is going somewhere where you can be distracted. And that means leaving your phone behind. Um, some people would say, well, I want to use my, uh, my prayer requests are on my phone. And I'll say, write them down on a sheet of paper. Don't take that phone with you. It's a distraction. I know countless people in my own church will say, oh, I love to have my phone in there because the scriptures are on it. Yeah, and so are your texts. And I know you are texting. And th this is how I know you are texting. One time our pastor said a wrong thing. Uh, he, he just got his kings mixed up. And before he did the benediction, he got about five texts from people uh, correcting him. And so he corrected it at the king. And it's like, great. Why are we texting in church? Uh, but anyway, so... Um, um, going, uh, going a place where you will not be distracted, and I highly, highly recommend not taking your electronics with you uh, so that you don't get distracted. Um, keeping a, a prayer journal, writing down, and if you're really disciplined and want to bring your phone, want to keep this on your phone, I'm not going to be legalistic and say don't bring it, but uh, I think it's a personally a bad idea to bring a, a electronics in with your prayer time, but Anyway, but somehow, right, writing down, though, uh, a list of things that you're praying for and uh, in two columns, one, the prayer request, and second, the answer, so that you can see how God is working and, and how God is, uh, uh, is answering uh, prayer. Uh, another uh, practical way of, of getting started, using the scriptures, using the prayer and scriptures as a prayer base. If you, if you are really struggling, I don't know how to pray. How do I pray? Well, God teaches us by the Lord's Prayer and just praying through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, and, and adding a few things about God's holiness. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Asking him to advance his kingdom. Praying for missionaries. Give us today our daily bread. Pray for the needs. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Confessing our sins, deliver us from evil, praying specifically for um, you know, the, the struggles and the te temptations that are around us. Use the prayers in scripture, use David's prayers, use the Psalms, uh, use Nehemiah's prayer. Um, 
You can even use the prayer of Jabez. If you haven't heard of the prayer of Jabez, it's found in first, oh, let's see if I can remember this, first Sam, uh, no, first Chronicles chapter either four or six, but you can look it up. But it's, it's, a, it's a prayer of, a, of an obscure but famous saint that uh, someone actually even wrote a book about it called the prayer of Jabez. Uh, and it's a, it's a good little pamphlet to read and uh, it's, 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 it's a good little book. But using the scriptures. Um, and um, another thing you can do as you get started in your prayer life is, is have an, somebody uh, from the church be accountable to. Have them ask you how your prayer life is going. And, um, and then after you get your, your 10 minutes in, try to expand that a little bit. Try to find other times. Uh, pray with your spouse you know, to start the day or uh, to end the day. Pray with your children. That's a good way to get uh, a time in prayer. Pray with your children. Pray when you sit down to dinner. Uh, I, I know with our kids, we had to make a sh very short grace before something got knocked over. Uh, but, you know, it's still, uh, you know, pr praying at the dinner table, praying for missionaries at the dinner table when you, when you ask a blessing on the food. Uh, you know, try to pray for a missionary a day uh, or something at, at the dinner table with your, uh, with your family. And don't get discouraged. You know, you might get started and you might pray three or four days and miss a day and then just get discouraged and stop. Satan would love you to stop praying. Satan does not want us to be praying. That is something that he'll actively oppose in our lives. So if we forget for a day, don't beat yourself up. Ask the Lord's forgiveness, move on and, and start again. And, and don't get discouraged. Sometimes people start a praying yeah, and get going and then either summer comes or, the, uh, or vacation comes and you get interrupted and the prayer life gets interrupted. Pick it up again. Don't get discouraged that you missed a day or two. Um, repent, uh, ask the Lord's forgiveness, and, and, and pick it up and, and, and start again. It will be a struggle because, as I said, Satan doesn't always want us to be, doesn't want us to be praying at all. And uh, that's, the, that's the flat truth. And so he's going to oppose us. He may strongly oppose us, he may weakly oppose us, but he's going to be opposing us. He's not going to like it. So little things will come up to distract you from prayer. Little things will come up to interrupt uh, that prayer time. You might have an argument with a kid or, or a spouse or a co-worker, and you may not feel like praying. You might have a bad night sleeping, and you might be a little tired and, and don't want that extra 10 minutes. So be prepared for that and ask God to protect you. But God's calling us to pray. God wants us to be praying people. God wants us to communicate with him, and that's what prayer is. It's communication with God. And so getting a prayer life together and, and, and starting a consistent prayer life, extremely important and something that if we want God to work in our church, if we want God to work in our nation, if we want God to work in our lives, if we want God to work in our neighborhood, that prayer life is essential. This is what Jonah concluded when his life hit the pits. He recognized that it needs to start with prayer. Now, Jonah had a lot more to deal with, uh, and he had to go make right what, uh, what he had messed up in, in chapter 1, and we'll see that in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But what Jonah saw in chapter 2 
is his life was a mess before the Lord, and it has to start with fervent confession, praise, thanksgiving-filled prayer. And in our lives, equally, no matter where we are, no matter our station, no matter if our gift is prophet or parent or teacher or doctor or lawyer or stockbroker or pastor or retired or housewife or whatever, our lives need to start and continue with uh, consistent, fervent, close times of prayer with our Lord and King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Prayer is a privilege, and we do thank you for the ability to come before you in prayer. We do ask for anyone who is struggling with a prayer life that they might be able to start afresh and start anew, a personal close dialogue with you each day. Help them to be able to set aside this time, Lord, and to make this a priority. Help us to be a praying church. Help us to be a praying nation. Help us to be praying individuals. Help us to know the power and the privilege of prayer. And help us to draw closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen.